Good morning. I'm Allie, and I'm one of the ministers here at Calvary. We are so happy and grateful that you've joined us this morning for worship. If you're new to Calvary or new to church in general, or whether you've been a member at Calvary or been coming here for many years, we want you to know that you're welcome and that we're glad that you're here with us today. You'll need several things to guide us through worship this morning. The first is a worship folder, and the second is a hymnal. And then if you're a guest with us, we'd love it if you'd fill out one of these visitor cards located in the pew. If you'll just place that in the offering plate later in the service, someone will get in touch with you this week. So this Sunday, we are finishing our series on love. And today, specifically, we'll be talking about what it means to love your enemy. This is no small feat, as I'm sure Mary Alice would agree as she's prepared her sermon for this morning. And as a staff, we've reflected on how complex and often painful this topic can be. But even if it's hard, and when it's hard and painful, and even if the idea of loving your enemies has become convoluted over the centuries, Jesus calls us to this task. I read the C.S. Lewis quote recently and thought that it might be a good starting point for us this morning in worship. He said, the rule for us all is perfectly simple. Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the greatest secrets. When you're behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love them. So this morning, may our hearts be open to God's moving in our lives. May we act solely out of love and not anger. May we pray for transformation in ourselves. May we lift our voices together in song. May we be challenged, and may we commit to living a life of love as Jesus did himself. Let's worship together this morning. Amen. 
Gracious Lord, we gather here today because of your extravagant love that has not only made us into sons and daughters, but has also made the stranger our brother and our sister. In our minds, we desire to be faithful to that love. We desire to ourselves love with inclusive generosity just like you. But this morning, we recognize and confess that we have often run away at full sprint from your command to love our enemies. Lord, that kind of love is mystifying to us and seems impossible, yet you call us to it just the same. Teach us instead how to run away from vengeance and from hatred. Teach us instead how to abide in a love that overflows the banks of our expectations. God, we ask that you would relieve us of our anxieties and grant us a holy imagination.
Heal us so that we may see in the face of our enemy the face of our brother, our sister. And God, empower us to cross the lines we've drawn so that we may bless those who curse us in response to your love for all. Amen. How long, O Lord, 
Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death, and my enemy will say I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of God for the people of God. Meant for one mission, 
we claim each other round Jesus Christ. Here is my mother, here is my brother, kindred in spirit through Jesus Christ. Enemy. Definition. One seeking to injure, overthrow, or confound an opponent. Although not true for everyone, I realize, some of us would say that we don't have any enemies. However, we probably do have someone in our lives that pricks us in a tender place. Here is a simple, rather undramatic story of my experience with such an individual. A number of years ago, I was working with a man who had the reputation and practice of being a loner and a bully, so my colleagues and I were surprised when he joined us one day at our lunch table, where we met daily for a few minutes before teaching our afternoon classes. He participated in our conversation easily until he unexpectedly made a lengthy, derogatory comment to me personally. Some of what he said was that he had, quote, heard it on the street that I was an easy teacher and that my classes were always, and that's why my classes were always filled. Boasting, he said that students dropped his classes to take easier classes because he was challenging and made them work. I was stunned and speechless, as all of us at the table were. He left the room soon after before any of us could think of a response. This situation required more than a quippy comeback. I now had an enemy, one seeking to injure, overthrow, or confound an opponent. At times, I can still feel the sting of his words. I'll be honest, I stewed on that interaction for days with mixed emotions of anger, hurt, and pity for myself and for him. However, being unskilled at quick responses actually gave me space to process and not say something I might later regret. After several days, I went to his office and said, can we talk? I didn't wait for an apology that would most likely never come. Instead, I took the initiative and confronted his bullying directly, a very uncomfortable act for me to do. I called him out for what he had said. I acknowledged that his words were bullying to me. I was vulnerable. I told him how his words had made me feel. I was honest. I told them his, that his words were intended to shame me because he was jealous. I was kind. I didn't attack him with all the negative things I could easily have said. I was helpful. I explained what it meant to be a challenging, demanding, and caring teacher who is also approachable. I challenged him to let me help him become that kind of teacher. I was loving. I told him I wanted to have a respectful working relationship and that it had to be his choice for that to happen. So did this colleague remain an enemy? He certainly could have. If I had ignored the conflict between us or obsessed over it, the tension would have grown and I would have avoided him and harbored my anger. Consequently, I would have enjoyed my job less and I would have in invented untold images to feed my anger. Moreover, I would have been deliberately ignoring God's command to, quote, love your enemy 
Do good to those who persecute you and say all manner of evil against you. Love is not always a warm, fuzzy feeling, but often an action, something we choose to do. gracious God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, last fall, the Kentucky Wildcats played the Texas A&M Aggies in football at Kyle Field and College Station. Now you all know that Kentucky is not known for being a football school, 
We normally see football season as a time of anticipation, as the advent of basketball season, if you will. But this particular season and this game were entirely different. Kentucky was actually having an uncharacteristically strong football season. In fact, we were undefeated and ranked number 14 compared to A&M's number 19 ranking. It was the first time our teams had played each other in over 60 years. And we were playing for a crowd of over 100,000 people televised nationwide on a primetime spot on ESPN. Needless to say, I was over the moon excited when my brother Matt called and decided to make a last-minute trip to Texas and bought us tickets to the game to go together. But then I started to get a bit nervous when practically everyone in Waco began to warn me about the Aggies. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're going to that game? That will be fun, but just know the Aggies are awful. People would say, get ready to get heckled and to be called every name in the book. It will be intense. One person said, I know you're a big Kentucky fan, but maybe just don't wear too much blue and try to blend in. <laughs> Aggie fans can be brutal, they said. Another person said, just know they will cut you in line if you are from the opposing team. You have to stand strong and stay the course just to get through the crowds. Well, after hearing this from so many people, Matt and I prepared ourselves for the worst. We drove to College Station that Saturday and began to walk into a sea of maroon and white, and it felt like we were on enemy territory. We knew these people were going to be mean to us, but we figured that once we found some other Kentucky fans, everything would be okay. In the meantime, we probably just needed to keep our heads down and avoid making eye contact with anyone. Well, the very first person called out to us, you folks look like you're from out of town. And I just braced myself for the worst. And he said, welcome to Aggieland, with a smile on his face. And so Matt and I looked at each other, waiting for some kind of snarky follow-up comment, but none came, and so we just smiled back. The next person said, hey y'all, thanks for making the trip all the way down to Aggieland. It's going to be a great game. And Matt and I looked at each other again, a bit confused about what was happening. The next person actually patted my brother on the back and said, howdy, welcome to Aggieland. Do you all know where you're going? Do you need any help? Matt and I looked at each other again, wondering if we could trust them to lead us in the right direction. <laughs> we wondered if maybe this was some sort of trick. Maybe they were going to lure us in like Hansel and Gretel. <laughs> and then once we got into the stadium, their wicked ways would become more apparent. But that didn't happen either. In fact, this man and his wife began to tell us the story of how they met as students at A&M and how they have been coming to games together ever since. They even took our picture by the stadium and went completely out of their way to help us find our seats. We had a blast that night, even though Kentucky lost in the final seconds of overtime. 
And then after the game, we thought maybe that's when they let their true colors show. And so we tried to rush out of the stadium before we got heckled too badly on our way to our car. But all the way, people were actually congratulating us on a really good game and telling us to be safe on our way home. That whole day, we kept waiting for someone, anyone, to be even remotely mean to us. And it never happened. Instead, I have to say that we received by far the most gracious hospitality and welcome we have ever received from an opposing team. Now, Chad, I can't say that about Duke. I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, it, it may seem trite or cliche to start a sermon on loving our enemies with a story about an opposing sports team. We may act like the other team is our enemy, and I really thought Duke was, and then I met Chad Elgleston and he was a nice guy, and so at least one of them is not. It's just a game we tell ourselves, and we all know that there are so many more serious examples of enemies in our world today. However, I believe that the ways we talk about The things we come to believe about and the ways in which we act toward even our most insignificant enemies are some of the same ways we talk about, believe about, or act toward our most significant ones. And it begins when we dehumanize people. Because people are harder to hate close up, aren't they? But if we keep our distance, as soon as we have othered them, as soon as we have dehumanized them in some way or put them in a different category, in other words, as soon as we have made them an enemy, we can say whatever we want to about them, can't we? After all, it's so much easier to treat people as enemies when they don't have a name or a face or a story. And yet, as Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew, he says, You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, it's interesting to me that when Jesus normally says, You have heard it said, He's referring to something back that was said in the Torah, something that we might read in the Old Testament. But nowhere in the Torah does it say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So where would people have heard this said? What is Jesus referring to this time? Perhaps Jesus knew that the message to love our neighbor and hate our enemy is the message we all hear. We've heard it said to love our neighbor and hate our enemy because that's how the world works. It seems to be hardwired in our DNA. It's human nature. It's sinful nature. And yet, Jesus calls us to live in a different way. He says to us in what is perhaps one of the most challenging teachings in the entire Bible, not to tolerate, not to just be nice to, not to even be hospitable toward, but to love our enemies. Now, it's important for us to remember 
back to our discussion on 1 Corinthians 13 from a couple weeks ago, that love is not a warm, fuzzy feeling, according to the New Testament writers. Do you remember the text from Luke 14 where Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Clearly, we know that Jesus does not mean that we need to have intense negative feelings of hatred toward our family members and toward ourselves. Instead, he uses hate here to talk about actions. Whoever wants to follow Jesus must have actions that put Jesus first in their life, even before family and even before self. And I think Jesus is doing something similar here in Matthew in that he uses love to signify action. Love isn't intended to be as much about having warm, positive feelings for our enemy as it is about living with positive actions toward our enemy. And then Jesus gives us a few concrete examples of what this kind of love looks like. It looks like turning the other cheek. Or if someone takes your shirt, handing them your coat as well. Or if someone forces you to go one mile, going the second mile too. Of course, that still leaves a lot of room for us to discern what loving our enemies looks like in different contexts today. But I love what New Testament scholar Douglas Hare says about this text. What is absolutely clear from the examples Jesus gives, he says, is that the Christian response to our enemy must be abnormal. To negative attitudes and actions, we must make positive responses. And that, my friends, is incredibly hard work. Someone came up to me after worship last week and said, good luck on that sermon about loving your enemy. I'm curious about what you might say because the reality is I don't even want to love my enemy. And isn't that true for just about all of us? I think we all have this desire within us to want to get back at people somehow, to make things even, for people to get what we think they really deserve, to give them a taste of their own medicine. And yet this is not the way of Jesus, who over and over again loved his enemies all the way to the cross. Loving our enemies runs completely counter to the idea of reciprocity and retribution. Instead, loving our enemies runs completely into the overwhelming nature of grace upon grace upon grace. But I also want to acknowledge that loving our enemies does not mean condoning, ignoring, or minimizing the ways in which they have hurt us. It doesn't mean that it is ever okay for another person to harm us or abuse us or take advantage of us or someone else. Loving our enemies does not mean that we allow ourselves or others to be put in a position where they might ever hurt us again. And so I want to be very clear here. 
If you are a survivor of some kind of abuse, be it from a partner, a parent, a family member, or someone else, Jesus is not saying here that you should continue to be a victim. That is not what it looks like to love our enemy. Just as we talked about last week in terms of loving the stranger, discernment is always needed as we seek to know how to love our enemies. And so perhaps the hard spiritual work for all of us is to discern how we can live in the way of God's love, even and especially when that love calls us to stand up to or against people who are doing harm and abuse. This week I listened to an incredible TED Talk by a woman named Sakina Yakubi, a Muslim woman from Afghanistan. When the Taliban closed all the girls' schools in Afghanistan, Sakina made it her life's work to set up new schools in secret, ultimately going on to educate thousands of women all across the country. In her TED Talk, she shares about a couple occasions when she was confronted by Taliban extremists because of her work. She was traveling one day with four teachers and a bodyguard when their car was stopped in the middle of the road. They were surrounded by 19 men with rifles pointed toward them, yelling at Sakina by name to get out of the car. She was convinced in that moment that she was going to die. Terrified, she got out of the car, her whole body shaking, and somehow mustered enough courage to say to the men, what can I do for you? And they said, we know who you are. We know where you are going. Every day you go north of here. You train women. You teach them. You give them an opportunity to have a job. You build their skills. But what about us? What are we supposed to do? And she said to them, still shaking all over, I, I don't know. The young men went on to say that from the time they were born, they were only taught one thing, how to hold a gun and how to kill. That's all they knew. Sakina was overwhelmed and didn't know what to say or how to respond until finally they let her go. Well, she went back to her school and the rest of the teachers went home for the day, shaken from the entire experience. But Sakina's mind was racing. These men were the source of the evil she had spent her whole life working against. And all of a sudden, they were asking her for help. And so two days later, later Sakina went back. She found the men on that same road. This time, she got out of the car willingly, although they still surrounded her with her, their guns. And she bravely began to tell the men that she wanted to help them. But that meant they were going to need to listen to every word she said and to obey. And so she started sending teachers to work with them, to teach them English, to show them how to use computers, and ultimately to train them to be teachers themselves. Today, she says, these 19 men who she once thought were going to kill her are not only some of her strongest teachers, but they are her guides, 
and they keep her safe as she travels through some of the most dangerous areas of Afghanistan in order to reach even more students across the country. For Sakina to do this did not deny the evil they had done. But once she met them up close, once she learned that they too had a name and a face and a story, she began to see how they were born into a life that they didn't choose for themselves. They were enslaved by a system in which there seemed to be no way out. And so for Sakina, to love her enemy meant to stand up to the evil system that was affecting all of them. For Sakina, to love her enemy was to take loving action on behalf of the enemy in face of incredible injustice. And for her to love her enemy meant bravely and boldly going the extra mile for them and with them. And so what will it look like for you and for me to love our enemy? It may seem so out of our wheelhouse to live with this kind of love to even think about doing something as bold and as brave as Sakina did. But the truth is that this kind of love is the very wheelhouse of our faith. It's the reason why you and I are even here today. Because Romans 5 verse 6 tells us, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so, friends, may God's love completely overwhelm us. May it challenge us inspire us, surprise us, invigorate us, and lead us forward as we seek to love one another, to love our neighbors, to love the stranger, and yes, even to love our enemies. And so God, in these moments, I ask that you might put a person on our mind and on our heart today. A person who has been so incredibly difficult to love. A person who has been against us in some ways. And without denying that pain, without denying that hurt, help us to know, help us to discern what it might look like for us to love them. Help us to know what actions we might need to take to follow in the ways of Jesus, who loved his enemies again and again and again. God, when we feel like this is hard, it is. It absolutely is. But remind us that that love doesn't come from within us. It's not anything we can muster up on our own. It's a love that can only come from you. And so God, give us a greater love than we could ever imagine. 
We ask these things in your name. Amen. 1 John 4, 9 through 11, the verse we have been saying every week says this. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Any talk about our loving others must begin with the love God has for us. And maybe you've never responded to that love that was ultimately expressed for us in Christ. Ultimately, that love beckons us to know and to follow in the ways of Jesus. Or maybe you feel led to become part of our community here at Calvary, where we seek to know and to follow Jesus together in the best ways we know how. We would love to welcome you into our church family today. And so however God leads you to respond, our ministers will be in the back of the sanctuary ready to receive you and to pray with you as we continue in worship. Oh 
Dear friends, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Just as God first loved us, we are called to love, not just our friends and families, but the stranger and even the enemy, not just when it's easy, but when it's hard. Today, as we come to the table, we remember that Jesus chose to eat his last meal with those who were hard to love. Peter, who would deny him, and Judas, who would betray him. As we take this bread and this cup, we see Jesus' death as a beautiful picture of God's love for us, even when we did not deserve it. While we were still far away from God, Christ died for us. Even when we were God's enemies, still he loved us. We give thanks that God stops at nothing to show us his love. Because God first loved us. Because Jesus loved the stranger. And because even Jesus ate with his enemies. We we humbly humbly come. come. It is with this assurance of God's great love for us that we come to the table to taste and see God's presence in the faces of our enemies. And as we come to the table, we remember again how the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is poured for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, you're invited to come to the table. Come and receive love greater than you could imagine.
Just a few things to remember as we go today. First, any families with children are invited to join us for lunch at Fuddruckers today after worship. A great chance for us to fellowship together and also to get to know Jenny Chilton a little better. So we hope that any families with children will join us for that. This Wednesday, we are continuing our student preaching series, and Alice Fry, our social work intern, will be preaching with us at 6 p.m. this week. We hope you will make plans to join us there as well. Next Sunday, if you are new to Calvary, whether you have been visiting for a little while or you're a new member, our deacons would love to, for you to join us for lunch. Um, we'll have a chance to get to know you better and also to share more about Calvary, how to get involved, for you to ask questions about who we are. We ask that you RSVP with Tunisia this week in the office. And then next Sunday, if you are interested in our Lebanon mission trip, Josh Caballero will be hosting a lunch meeting as well for those wanting to learn more about the trip and considering going themselves. So Josh is right over here with Millie Grace, and I know he would love to talk with you about that. And then as we leave today, we will be receiving the Samaritans Fund. This is a fund that goes toward emergent needs in our community and within our own congregation. And know that it is used often and it is used well. And it's a tangible way that we feel like the Calvary family can share God's love with our neighbors and even with people who are strangers. Our team spent some time reflecting on that this past week. So thank you for giving generously to that. Well, please stand and join me for our benediction. Friends, may the God who calls you from this place journey with you as you go. May God delight in you with joy, bringing unimagined graces. Walk with you in darkness, shining light along your way. May God be close to you in pain, giving strength for every moment. And comfort you in fear, granting courage to be brave. May God's love surround you, may Christ's mercy astound you, and may the Spirit abound in you, so that you live in the fullness of the God who is with us always. Amen. What the God's love. Amen.